What I have found is that every time you go to a different association, you're managing a different association, the profession very much spills over at the board table. So physicians are going to be asking questions like they are physicians. Auditors are going to be asking questions like they're auditors. To give you an example, and I've mentioned this to the ACUA board, so there would be no surprise there, but they're auditors, so they want to find out more. And you present something to them, and the first reaction is like, okay, so can we find out X? And when they find out X, well, can we find Y? And it keeps digging because as an auditor, that's your job. You need to make sure that things are being taken care of in the right way. So as far as you can go and get deep into things, that's where you're going to find the answers. This is Associations Thrive, the podcast celebrating successful associations and their leaders. I'm your host, Joanna Pineda, CEO and Chief Troublemaker at Matrix Group International. Listen in as top association executives tell all, revealing the creative and innovative ways they're increasing membership, generating revenue, nurturing engagement, and reimagining their organizations. By the way, if you've launched a new initiative, created new member services, or updated your governance structure and are seeing great results, I want to hear your story and so do my listeners. I'd love to have you as a guest. Go to podcast.matrixgroup.net and apply to be on Associations Thrive. Now let's dive into this week's show. Today, I'm speaking with Jose Seguera, Executive Director of the Association of College and University Auditors, or ACUA. Jose, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hi. Hi. Jose, tell us about ACUA. ACUA is an organization for internal auditors in higher education. So universities and colleges, they typically have an auditor to monitor different processes, for example, any accreditations, research, and including financials, but it's not just specific to financials. So these folks basically go to all areas of the universities and make sure that things are happening the way they are need to be done. And Jose, I bet that they have teams of people doing this work because these universities are huge and they have tentacles into so many areas. Yes. And some of them only have one person (gasps) and some of them have none. So that is a big discrepancy among universities right now. Some of them do outsource the role to other companies or for profit companies. But others do keep at least one person, the chief auditor, in-house, or they have the entire team in-house. So it very much depends on how the university wants to take care of that role. Jose, what are some of the issues that university auditors are facing these days in their jobs? What's keeping them up at night? There are quite a few things right now few important ones relate to athletics. And for example, some of these rulings that are passing on the courts or legislation at the states that say that athletes can be paid employees. 
So those are very different standards that they will have to be auditing and how are they going to be implementing those processes. Same thing with diversity and inclusion and some of these programs at the state levels that are being removed from universities or defunded. So how are they going to be sunsetting that and making sure that some of those functionalities continue in the university? So their role is really like an advisor for the university as a whole. So they go in, they audit this specific program, this specific department, and then they issue their suggestions for improvement. So if there's something that's going to be changing, they have to be very much aware of that. If there's something that is going to be taking away, they'll need to take care of that as well. So it very much varies by state, but they have their hands in pretty much everything except for the actual academic part of it. Like, education. Are the audits that they're doing strictly financial, or are they also auditing policies and procedures and compliance with those policies? So most people think of auditing for accounting and financials. Yes. They don't do that. They could, for example, if they're auditing a grant, they do audit the financials for that particular grant and making sure that the money went and was assigned to whatever it needed to be. However, they pretty much take care of auditing everything else. So any policies and procedures that need to be audited and making sure that people are compliant with that. If there is a new construction on site at the college or university, they audit that process and making sure that things are being compliant. So it's very much anything but the financials of the institution. Interesting. Huh. Well, we're going to get into the things that Akua is doing to thrive, and thriving you are. But before we do that, let's talk about your journey. How did you get to become executive director of Akua? I've been in association management for more than 20 years, and I know I do look young. You don't look it. You (laughs) must have been 12. (laughs) I was. Child labor. So... One of the things that happened to me is like everybody else, we just fall into associations. We stumble into it. I was a temp at a temping agency and they placed me at the American Hospital Association. And I was, this is job. So sure, I'll take it. And then they ended up hiring me and I was hired as the phone operator. As in you were answering phones? Yes. And transferring people. Okay. (laughs) Remember those days? Yes. (laughs) I did that too. (laughs) Yeah. So that was my role at AHA when I started. And then I got promoted and pretty quickly identified that this was a career that I was interested in. I always say I grew up as a professional at the AHA. They gave me a lot of opportunities. I was in a lot of different projects. So that sparked my interest in associations. From there, I went to the American Board of Medical Specialties, where I was the government and external relations manager. So pretty much knowing what board certification for physicians was about so that I could explain it to the state medical boards, the accreditation staff at hospitals, so that they knew what they needed to be looking for in case a new physician came over and said, yes, this person is qualified. And this is how I can verify that they are qualified. 
So did a lot of speeches on that and worked with some of the state medical boards to improve the licensure. While I was there, I gained my master's in nonprofit administration. Ah. I decided I wanted to do it for a living for the rest of my life. So I went to school for nonprofit administration. And then I went to association management company, which is AMC here in Chicago, where I was managing as the number two, two associations. And then I am currently at Boston, which is another association management company where I have managed multiple clients. And I'm also now currently overseeing the meetings. Jose, what's it like to go from medical associations to now an auditing association? Very different. Are the skill sets as executive director the same, or are you finding that it's quite different? It is different because the audience is different. The membership is different. And what I have found is that Every time you go to a different association, you're managing a different association, the profession very much spills over at the board table. Yes. So physicians are going to be asking questions like they are physicians. Auditors are going to be asking questions like they're auditors. Ah. To give you an example, and I've mentioned this to the ACUA board, so there would be no surprise there. But they're auditors, so they want to find out more. And you present something to them, and the first reaction is like, okay, so can we find out X? And when they find out X, well, can we find Y? And it keeps digging because as an auditor, that's your job. You need to make sure that things are being taken care of in the right way. So as far as you can go and get deep into things, that's where you're going to find the answers, basically. They're very curious. They're very much type A personality. They love to volunteer. They have strong dedication to the organization, and that's very palpable, their commitment. I've also managed risk managers. Ah, oh, another very detailed group. <laughs> right? So, but what spills over is you propose something and they're like, what is the risk? Oh. Do we really want to do that? Black hat thinking. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're very cautious oh. about their decision making. Same thing with physicians, same thing with all the other organizations. I find that that's the most distinct thing that happens from association to association. Boy, that's really great insight. It sounds like how you deal with the board and the leadership is quite different based on the profession. Yes. But you also said something really interesting. You said that until recently you were managing two associations, and that's because sometimes with an association management company, associations will allow themselves to be managed by an AMC because they don't have the budget necessarily for full-time staff, but they get benefit of part-time staff. So you were ED of two organizations. So what's that like to have split responsibilities? That, I will have to say, it can be great. And it can be stressful. Yeah. And sometimes both at the same time. <laughs> right, right. So to give you an example, I've had to manage two different organizations where both of their annual meetings were in the same month. Oh. <laughs> so with an annual conference comes the board meeting and all the networking activities, the education, travel, all of that. So my September this 
past year was quite hectic. However, seeing the volunteers be so dedicated to their organizations is kind of like what fuels you as an executive director, making sure that you do a good job for them. And, you know, it can be frustrating because you want to dedicate time to the client, to the association, and making sure that you do things very well for them. But then they're like, okay, we're only paying for 40% of your time. So you also have to respect that and say, we can do this. Let's make sure we set some type of volunteer task force so that you can complement what staff is doing. Well, speaking of members, let's turn to Akua and let's talk about the things that the organization is doing to thrive. You say that one thing that's really helping you to really grow and thrive as an organization is your community. Tell us about it. The community at Akua is stellar. A couple of different things when I say community. Number one is the platform that we have for the online community is active. People are engaged. We have the board and committees set up with their own communities so they can go in and collaboration is a little bit easier. So that is one aspect of it. But the sense of community that they have spills over in the platform. That sense of, you know, we are auditors and we need to support each other. An example, you know, some states have been getting rid of their auditing shop and outsourcing that. So like, let's get together and create the benefit of having an internal auditor that is not outsourced. Let's get together and these things change in the athletic programs nationwide. Let's do a Kickstarter, what they are called. And the community there, their volunteers put together those resources for their peers somewhere else. So they very much see themselves in a very collaborative way. And it's, I believe, what makes them excel in what they do as a profession and as an association. Are there specific things that you are doing to really cultivate the community? Like, for example, does Akua have a community manager on staff? Or how does that work? What are you doing to really nurture that community? So one of the things that they do have is a volunteer that works on the communities and makes sure that things are answered. If there's somebody that posts something and nobody really knows the answer, then you know that person goes back and makes sure that he facilitates an answer for that one person. Oh. We don't have someone specific in staff to have that role, but they do from the volunteer perspective. And another thing that we are doing in 2024 is going to be revamping those communities so that there can be more engagement. I've been with Akua for about a year, serving as their executive director. And at this point, you know, we wanted to make sure that they were very well set up. They had a good, strong strategy moving forward, which they do now. We keep track of that strategy on a regular basis, keep ourselves at the strategic level as a board. And then now it's like, what are we doing to improve our image, our membership communication, our communities, so that we can continue to thrive? Wow. Okay. Well, I see the commitment of your members because I'm working with you on your virtual summit, which we should talk about next. And man, they are curious. They are caring. They are committed. Very, very impressive. I can see why you're in love with them. 
So let's talk about the virtual summit. You're excited about it. Tell us all about it. Yes, I am very excited about it because this is the first time that we're doing something like this. I know, you know, with the pandemic 2020, 2021, a lot of programs became virtual for Akua. And I, this happened before I joined Akua. But what they had done was created a virtual conference. They have created a hybrid conference, but they typically have two programs. One is called Audit Interactive, which is in March, and the other one is Audicon, which is in September. And that's the annual conference, the one in September. So this one is supposed to be more in-depth, the one in March, and pretty much teaching the ropes of how to be an internal auditor in higher ed. So it's longer, it's more interactive, hence the name. You get to collaborate with folks a little bit longer, talk to the speakers a little bit longer. And we, for the first time, are going to do that in a virtual way. And we're using Bespeak. Yes. That's how we're going to be facilitating that in collaboration with you to make sure that the audience stays engaged and that we fulfill the main purpose of getting that in-depth information from folks. It's going to be April 9th through the 12th, so we're really excited about that. The program is coming together right now, and registration is supposed to open in just a few days. Why did you decide to take this conference virtual? It sounds like it's a really important one for learning. Yes. So last year, we had about 200 people come in, which is normal for that conference, we wanted to expand it and make sure that it was available to more people. So we are trying to have bigger audience, making sure that we have a wider reach, make sure that the content is as good as it was in person, and then see what happens. It's just another way to innovate with the cost of food and hotel expenses, AUV, it's getting harder and harder to make profits in events. So this was an innovative way to do it without having to incur some of those costs. Really interesting. Well, we'll look forward to talking to you about the conference afterwards. We'll have to have you back. Yeah. Hey, let's turn to something different. You have something called Audit Tools, which is just a bunch of resources to help your members do their jobs. Who develops these tools? Yeah, so like you were saying, the Akua members are very committed and they're very much engaged volunteers. So one of the things that they do is under the Professional Education Committee, they develop these tools to support other members. One of them is the audit dictionary that they have on the website. Those are definitions of different areas within auditing. And some of that stuff is being updated right now because what they're going to be doing this year is creating controls for each one of those definitions. Ah. So it's going to be improved. The other thing is, like I said before, the Kickstarters. So if something changes in the athletic program, for example, they will tell you, you know, this is a document that you can use to set up the audit for the athletic department. And these are the things that you need to make sure you cover and give you an idea, like a, a roadmap. Of course, they won't walk you 
line by line because it's different in different universities, but they will give you a roadmap to make sure that you do the audit correctly. And that's perfect for people that are doing it for the first time, but also there are people that have done it plenty of times, but they still use that template to start an audit in their universities. Boy, that sounds amazing. It sounds like the members really have a lot of generosity about the profession, and they're willing to really share their expertise. It sounds like in a really timely manner, so that when something big hits, you're not, as an organization and as a community, caught flat-footed. They're ready. They can go to Akua and say, this just happened. What can you offer me? Yes, and that's exactly how the Kickstarters work. Ah. If there's something that changes, usually one of the volunteers or a member says, hey, does anybody has a Kickstarter on XYZ? And the committee pretty much gets together and says, I think we need to create a Kickstarter on this topic. Ah. And then they start the development of it. We don't really know how many Kickstarters we're going to create each year. It really depends on what is happening so that we can be providing good resources in a timely manner. Jose, you've got a CUA that you are managing through Bostrom, and Bostrom itself has its own culture. And you say that Bostrom itself has been thriving. What's been the Bostrom secret these past couple of years? When I started at Bostrom, I started January 2nd, 2019. So I'm right at the five-year mark, and they already had a good program for diversity and inclusion. And when I started, I wanted to get engaged with that. I talked to HR. They were like, sure, come to this topic, discussions that we're going to have and create a culture map. So we were evaluating the culture of Bostrom overall. What we did then was create a statement on diversity and started implementing different things to make sure that we maintain the culture of Bostrom. The culture of Bostrom is pretty much laid back, very collaborative, very much a matrix organization. Your team is like not necessarily all reporting to you, but you collaborate with all these people to make sure that different clients continue to succeed in what they do in their mission. As an example, one of the things that we did to make sure that we fostered diversity was include a step in the recruitment process so that there was one person from the DEI team interviewing for diversity, the candidates. So for example, I would have 30 minutes with every candidate to say, this is why DEI is so important to us. This is why our culture is very important to us. Like, tell me how you're going to be fitting in in this environment? What have you done similarly before? Like, how would you integrate this into your like everyday processes that you're going to be doing and, and working with different teams? So we started analyzing those answers and then from there determining equally as their skills, like, yes, this person would be a great fit for us. This person likes change. We have changed so much in the last three years. So that's an important part of Bostrom. And the innovation part, like right now we're talking about AI, right? So we have a task force working on that, identifying tools that we can use for our members. 
and engage our members with AI. Of course, there's a big unknown and nobody really knows which tool is going to survive and which one is the best. So there are people at Bostrom actually analyzing all of that and then making recommendations moving forward so that our members can benefit from some streamlining from any automation that these tools can provide. Right, right. What I'm hearing is that Bostrom has a very intentional culture, intentional about maintaining the culture, about bringing in diverse perspectives, but also being intentional in how you're going to innovate and use forward-thinking tools. Yes. Amazing. Hey, before we go, I have to talk to you about Association Latinos. You are a board member, and last year you had your first ever awards ceremony. I don't know how you fit this all in. What does this mean to you? It's been an amazing journey for Association Latinos. I am one of the five founders. We just expanded the board for the first time. So we have two new board members this year. The organization continues to grow. And as part of that growth last year, we decided to create two different awards. One for a more senior person, Hispanic in association, and another one for a more junior one. And last October, we moved forward with awarding those individuals with the inaugural awards. So it was amazing. It was a challenge that we started the year in 2023. And we were like, um, it's January, but like, are we sure we can do this? Because we don't have criteria for awards. We've never done an, an award ceremony before. So we were all like trying to get this together, but with the goal that we were going to have an event to give out the awards in October or Hispanic Heritage Month. So you graciously hosted us in one of the events. We had one in Chicago and one in DC, and we were able to multicast that and make sure that people saw what was happening in DC versus what was happening in Chicago. So it was an amazing, fulfilling event, and I can't wait to do it again this year. Well, I hope I get to be part of it again because it was so meaningful to me to be able to see the first time Association Latinos really offering up these awards and recognizing these amazing professionals. Yeah, I mean, part of the mission of Association Latinos is to elevate the profile of different Latinos in associations. So that's a very important part of what we need to do, right? Recognize these individuals, put their faces out there, making sure that people know about what they're doing. Well, Jose, this has been an amazing and insightful interview, and I hope that I had a small part in elevating you and Akua to the greater association community. I hope you will come back in the future to tell us about all the amazing things that you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Associations Thrive. We're so glad to have you here. You know, my personal mission and the mission of my company, Matrix Group International, is to help associations and nonprofits increase membership, generate revenue, and thrive in the digital space. I want to hear stories of how your organization is thriving in today's challenging landscape. Please apply to be on my show by going to podcast.matrixgroup.net. By the way, do you need help with a digital initiative? 
Maybe it's a website redesign, a new membership database, or a hybrid meeting that you're planning. I'd love to connect with you. Please visit the Matrix Group website at matrixgroup.net. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode of Associations Thrive. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, leave a five-star rating, post a comment, and share it with your colleagues and friends. Bye.